0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 483 of So You Wanna Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So, what have you guys been up to this week? Personally, I am officially exhausted. We had an awesome time at the Sydney Writers' Festival last week. Catching up with so many fantastic authors, going to some great sessions, meeting up with people in our writing community. Thank you for all of the listeners who came up to us to say hi, you know, who managed to spot us, (laughs) Um, although we kind of stood out a bit because Ra has purple hair. Anyway, thank you very much for coming up to say hi. It was great to meet you. But now I'm going through that come down that you have after you've been on a big high. We also, by the way, did a bunch of behind-the-scenes videos. And if you haven't caught up with them, they're mainly on Instagram and also in the podcast listener community on Facebook. If you haven't joined, by the way, on Facebook, just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's great to have so many fantastic, aspiring and established writers in there from so many walks of life. But anyway, now. I just need to have a big rest and to catch up on all the messages and emails that I've missed during the festival. And apologies if you messaged me while I was at the festival. I was kind of all over the place and pretty flat out. I'm also looking forward to giving feedback to the people who are in our membership programs. It's a couple of feedback fiestas this week. Um, I'm giving personal feedback on the writing of members for people who are in our freelance writing masterclass program and also our aspiring copywriters in copy club. Now, let's move on to our tip this week. This is so much fun. It was actually shared by one of our students in our Novel Writing Essentials course. And, you know, that's something I love about our classroom courses. Students share their resources and ideas and also their successes and trials and tribulations. And it's a microcosm of how supportive the greater writing community is. And it's a great introduction to the greater writing community. Anyway... This is a database of Australian geographical nicknames. So this is great if you're writing about Australia and you're not sure about the various names and towns and places that, you know, different towns and villages have. For example, most Aussies will know that Brisbane is often called Bris Vegas. yeah, but other nicknames that it has are Bristantinople, Brisneyland, And then, of course, Adelaide is also known as Radelaide or (laughs) Radders or the City of Churches. The database was compiled by the Australian National Dictionary Centre, which is at the Australian National University, ANU. So it's very robust. Only names that were submitted several times have been included, although I have to say I hadn't heard of a lot of them, but, you know, I don't know everything, obviously. As you can imagine, some of the names are just shortened, like Coffs for Coffs Harbour, or the Gong for Wollongong, or the Bearer for Canberra, and some are plays on words. My personal favourite is Sheep Dunny Cow Dunny. Do you know what that's for? Sheep Dunny Cow Dunny. It's for Woolloomooloo. (laughs) (laughs) Woolloomooloo. Okay, I promise this isn't procrastinating. It's really useful if you're writing about Australia and want to add some local colour. You can find it on the ANU website and we'll put the link in the show notes. All right, so moving on from cool place names now. Are you ready for the word of the week? All right this week's word of the week is draft, D-R-A-F-F, Draft. This actually sounds exactly like what it is. Draft is refuse, especially of malt after brewing. So it's the spent grain that's left at the bottom of the barrel after making beer. And because it's just the husks of the grain. It can be reused as animal feed or fertiliser. And there's even a brewery in Canada that uses draft to grow shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> there you go. Bit of useful information for you this week draft. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day
1: job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawritercomau forward slash book.
0: All right, let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. I loved talking to the wonderful Nat Amor. Now, not that long ago, Nat actually did some courses at the Australian Writer Centre before she was published, and then as a result of that, she released her debut novel, Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire, and since then, she's released more books, including The Power of Positive Pranking, And also, last year, she released The Right Way to Rock. Now, she's released her fourth book, We Run Tomorrow. Let's have a chat to Nat Amor, who has become one of the most popular middle grade authors in the country. Thanks so much for joining us today, Nat.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm quite (laughs) honoured.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to chat to you, not only about your latest book, We Run Tomorrow, but also about your author journey so far. It's been You've just gone from strength to strength and success to success, and you're killing it. So before we get into all of that, your latest book, We Run Tomorrow, tell us, in case there's some listeners who haven't got a copy yet, what is it about?
1: Okay, so We Run Tomorrow is about four best friends who they are living on the same street together and they're very, very tight, close friendship. And then the adults around them start making some decisions that are going to tear them apart. So they decide to take their future into their own hands and they find out that the comic book that they're obsessed with is being made into a Hollywood blockbuster feature on the Gold Coast. And they decide they're going to run away from home audition for the main roles which are these four kid superheroes and that's the answer to all their problems because they'll be able to stay together forever once they're the screensavers da, da, da.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now how did this idea come into your
1: head um so weirdly when i first start writing a book i i'm a big film buff and so i often have like a film in mind so when i wrote secrets of the schoolyard millionaire I had Home Alone in mind. And even though the, the concept of the films are completely different, that's sort of the feel I was going for kids taking on bad guys and like kind of owning the world on their own. So when I wrote this one, I really had a sense of stand by me. So this friendship oh, yes. that was super tight and that they had to get somewhere on some kind of mission crossed with planes, trains and automobiles (laughs) for that comedic element of how do you get from like point A to point B to point C, especially when you're only 11 years old. Um, So that's sort of the feel that I had to begin with. And then the idea came from uh, I was down in Melbourne on the uh, Maurice Saxby creative development program with the CBCA which is a bit of a tongue twister but was a great (laughs) program Um, and I had on the same program was a guy called Mike Barry who was a graphic novelist and he started talking to me about graphic novels and I was like yeah I used to love comic books when I was a kid but I'd sort of got moved away and he kind of brought me back and it reminded me how much i loved comics as a kid and that's how that sort of comic book element came into it
0: wow okay so let's talk about the formation and the gestation and the creation mm-hmm. <laughs> of this idea can you give us a little bit of a timeline as to when you thought of the idea when you how long it took you to write You know, how long it was to edit it? Because presumably a lot of this also happened during the pandemic or the lockdowns and that sort of thing. Is that right?
1: Sort of. So this one has a bit of a weird life because Mm -hmm. when I signed my first book, Secrets of the Schoolyard Millionaire, in 2019, I actually signed a two-book deal with Penguin. And the second contract was open. It could be anything. It didn't have to be related to Secrets of the Schoolyard Millionaire. And so I actually wrote this one. and You wrote this after? Yes, so this was the second book I wrote. Um, And then Penguin, so the idea came up pretty much as soon as I had written Millionaire, like what was going to be next was when this started sort of happening. Then I wrote it to fulfil that second contract. So that would have been, I guess, in like 2019 I wrote this. And then because Millionaire was doing so well, Penguin was kind of like, This feels slightly older. We'd love to have something that the fans of Millionaire can step straight into. And that's where the Power Positive pranking came from. So this got kind of bumped. Then they were like, hey, how about one more? So then Mm -hmm. The Right Way to Rock came. And then so this one got bumped again. So I, even though I wrote it in 2019, I'm pretty sure, Mm -hmm. I didn't look at it again until about a year ago when we started editing it. So it was, it was really interesting to come back to it. I've never had that opportunity to sit on something for a while. Mm. You know, there's that whole put it away in your bottom drawer and come yeah. back to it. I've never had that opportunity because everything's been like boom, 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 write it, yes. get it out, write it, get it out. Um, so it was really, really uh, lovely to read it for the first time after not looking at it for honestly, I guess, like two, almost maybe three years. Mm. And um, it was like reading someone else's story for the first time. It was it was such a joy. Uh, and then, yeah, so then I think we were edit- in edits for like uh, about a year. Mm. And
0: so we- when Penguin said, it's open, write anything you want, they kind of actually meant write anything you want, but very specifically for this age group.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, so it was, I should say, it was a middle grade contract. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the only spec, because at that time there was a bit of a bidding war going on and all the other, so everyone had kind of stepped up, everyone who was still in the run had stepped up to a two book contract, but the other publishers specifically wanted a sequel to Millionaire. Oh. Whereas Penguin was like another middle grade, but whatever you want kind of thing. So um and I think when I first wrote this, because it's a bit of a weird concept that's a novel, graphic novel hybrid, I was still very new with Penguin and they were a bit like, oh, this is a bit of a weird thing to do for someone who's not various. I'm putting words in Penguin's mouth. I don't yeah. know if this is the case, but yeah, sure. um, this I is what you they, think that they think. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were a bit, yeah, like just sort of like, Mm-uh. Um, but the good thing about it getting bumped, and I think it was, I think it's a better book because it came out last for a multitude of reasons. But one is that I had, I hoped, built up this sort of confidence in Penguin that I could do something that was a bit weird now and a bit Mm. like not not like not really fitting into a perfect category, and that they were like, Yeah, okay, I think I think we can give you that, you know, a go at doing that and had some faith. So yeah, it was good.
0: And in case there's some listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of middle grade, can you define what age group that is?
1: <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, look, I think it's, I think generally it's 8 to 12, but I also think, like, within that there's sort of, like I would say my, my first book's, can go. My first three books can go across that and skew even a bit younger if it's a strong reader. Like I've had six-year-olds read Millionaire, have it read to them, and I've had seven-year-old strong readers reading Millionaire. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing in the books. There's no kind of content that isn't appropriate for younger kids. It's just the kind of thickness and the word count and the no pictures. Yes. Whereas I think we run tomorrow skews the older end, like nine plus. Mm-hmm. So and it's weird because then I have I've actually had sort of teenagers who are reading it and really digging it as well. Whereas I say, would say this one has content that like, I wouldn't say it's appropriate for like six year olds, you know? So, sure. um, but yeah, I guess eight to 12 upper primary is a good way to think of middle grade. But I mean, I do find sometimes those lines, you can push them and they can get a yes. bit blurry as well.
0: So when you're writing then, do you have a eight year old or do you have a, a, a reader of a certain age in mind?
1: Not really. I think, like, especially when I started, I didn't. Um, I just wrote. I mean, I'm just a giant child. Like, I think anyone Mm. who knows me will (laughs) definitely agree with that. And so I write stuff that I probably would think I would have loved as a kid, but I probably just still love now. And then I think Penguin really helped me work out where it fitted and and edit it to make sure that it did go one way or another. Um, But, yeah, I... I have them in mind in the sense of I have a reader, I want a reader to enjoy it, but I'm not really going like, oh, this is the language you use for a seven-year-old or an yeah. eight-year-old. Like I'm not really doing that because I've, what I've discovered, especially over the last four years, is like there's some seven-year-olds who are reading like 90,000-word novels. Like it's very, um, it's very hard. Like I, I want it to be appropriate for kids. I'm not going to put, you know, inappropriate stuff in there. Yes but I also know that there's a lot of wiggle room when it comes to who the book actually ends up in the hands of. And that's Mm. fine with me. Like it's, I write the book and whoever it finds, I have a lot of adult readers as well. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of that, because as adults, we all kind of have a leaning to a particular reading age in children's books. Right. And you've just, obviously yours is middle grade. I know that, um, you know, my partners is definitely the fart and bum jokes of an (laughs) eight-year-old. I know that some people just, they're 14-year-olds, you know, they're absolutely, without a doubt, young adult. I'm probably (laughs) five-year-old. I'm (laughs) a picture book (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get, oh, um, emotionally (laughs) impacted by picture books. So why, what do you think, defines what do you think influences that age in adults
1: um I for me I mean I can't talk for everybody Mm. but for me I remember everything about being like 10 it's just Mm. like when I write I'm not like putting myself in the headspace of a kid no I'm just like (laughs) I never left (laughs) like I'm just like I have I have such clear memories and a lot of them are in my books of what it felt like to meet your best friend for a first time what it Mm. felt like to feel powerless as a 10 year old because like adults were deciding everything for you I have I still sometimes like I still sometimes have those feelings (laughs) Um, but I think yeah I'm just really emotionally connected with that age and I don't know if that means that that's where I um, found my personality the, the most or it was like a pivotal time in my life or why I'm so connected to it, but I I am. I don't have a lot of connections to being five. I don't really remember that age group. I don't really, whereas I can close my eyes and be inside my 10-year-old self and be so connected to it that the writing is really natural. It doesn't feel Mm. like I'm trying to put on someone else's shoes. I'm just writing. All all my books have me as a 10-year-old in them, without a doubt, like lots Mm. of them.
0: Your books um, have protagonists who are girls, who are boys, who are, you know. Um, Do you find it at all challenging or you find it really easy just to write whatever gender the characters are?
1: Yeah, because I don't put a lot of weight in Mm. the the gender. Like I, I actually think that a lot of my characters are, Like, of course, they have a gender, but they're kind of a little bit genderless (laughs) in a way, Mm. like, and I think that's just sort of how I feel about, like, I'm a big believer in all books are for everybody, all stories are for everybody, you know, like, and so because I don't um, put a lot of weight in that, I don't, like, I also talk to kids when I do schools and stuff about how I don't very often describe what my characters look like. And when it comes to the front cover, the publisher's always like, oh, what does the main character look like? And I'm like, oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> like, so there's there's a lot of things that I sort of, um, I like to keep my books appealing to as many people as possible. And, yeah, I just don't really feel like there's so much difference, especially as kids yeah. uh, in, in those characters. So I feel like a lot of my characters could be, almost anybody and it would yeah. still work. So, yeah, I, I, I again, it's so funny. I really wish I could dissect what I do a lot, <laughs> but I just kind of go like all my main characters have a lot of nat in them and so I've got yeah. bits of my personality and plonked them in these characters. So whether they're boys or girls kind of seems a bit irrelevant in the end.
0: Yes. It's interesting that you say a lot of your characters have a lot of nat in them because you are this Really high energy person and a high energy writer. We run tomorrow sets a cracking pace from the opening scene. What do you do to just to keep that pace going? Not only to keep the pace going, but how do how do you determine what adventures they're going to go on? Do you determine it beforehand, and then I'm going to write the adventures, or as you go?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I guess this is that whole kind of like plotter or pantser sort Mm. of uh, conversation. Um, For me, the most enjoyable part of writing is that first draft. Like that's, I am so happy. I actually hate editing. (laughs) Um, I'm not great at the structure and just my general life, let alone when it comes to writing. (laughs) So when I write a book, I know how it starts and I know how it ends. And I most often have no clue what's going to happen in the middle. And that is the joy to me it's the discovery of where my characters are going and um because i'm a film buff and a very visual person the way i write is a film playing out in my head and my Mm. hands trying to keep up describing what's happening and sometimes the characters do things that i never expected like they just i'll be in the middle of writing and i'll be like oh okay you did that all right cool and it's really like i'm experiencing it as they do Mm. um so I'll have a I mean I know they definitely need to get somewhere otherwise I just go off sideways so I definitely need an end that I'm heading towards but that journey in between is very very free form and then I go back afterwards and go okay well there's a whole side scene and adventure they went on that has nothing to do with the story and that needs to come out or whatever um, but I think yeah my energy is very reflective of me as a person and so mm. oh, sorry, my writing is very reflective of of Mm. me as a person. And your energy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I think the adventure and the energy in the books is like, that's how I live my life. I'm like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? (laughs) Um, And so that kind of, yeah, comes out in the stories.
0: So let's go back to that first draft of We Run Tomorrow because you wrote it quite a while ago and then it kind of resurfaced two years later. So let me just check first. When you wrote it, that first draft, that was first draft, right? The thing that resurf- resurfaced was first draft or several yeah, yeah. drafts in? Yeah, Like it
1: was my first draft to the publisher. Yeah, okay. Usually so, it's my kind of like maybe second.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So you reread it and... Then you said it was in edits for about a year. Mm-hmm. During that time, now I want to just touch on because you said, Oh, I'm no good at structure, but that can't be true because you've got several very successful books. Mm-hmm. So what happens? It just we'll take a wee run tomorrow. What happened in the edit period in that time? Did you have to restructure things? Like what sorts of things did you have to edit?
1: So you're right. I shouldn't say I'm no good at structure because I have an innate sense of storytelling that comes from lots of reading and lots of watching movies hmm. and I think I used to write for screen and there's nothing like screen is so structured um, hmm. even compared to books, you know. So you're right. I absolutely shouldn't say that because I think it's, it's innate in me. So when I write a story, even a first draft, I'm a bit lucky because that storytelling is so strong in me that that first yes. draft will have quite a good structure. I guess what I meant is like, I shouldn't say structure, I should say planning. I'm not very good at planning and I don't do a lot of it. Um, I rely on that innate storytelling where I understand about, um, you know, beginning, middle and end and and what has to happen in between and um, highs and lows and action falling and all that kind of stuff is very Mm. much just, even if I'm telling you a story at the pub, I'm going to be using all that, you know? So yeah, I should say, Planning, I don't do. Structure is innate. Um, and so I've been really lucky so far. I would say all of my books haven't been torn apart structure-wise. So no. I, I've, I've speak, spoken to a lot of authors who kind of they write a first draft and then it all gets turned upside down and chapters <laughs> get moved around and the beginning comes becomes the end. And I've never had that. Um, and I think that's because that, yeah, that structure comes quite naturally to me. Uh, the edits are much more about um, making sure the character in my head is fully on the page for the reader, that the relationships are really strong. That's always kind of the, the focus. And also that it's like the publisher does help me make sure that it is appropriate and fits into the age group mm. that we're aiming for. Because sometimes I'm like, everything's appropriate. And they're like,
0: that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> So you are a film buff. You see your story play out visually in your head and then your fingers and the keyboard try and keep up. But what I'm trying to understand is that that is such a visual thing and yet you don't really know what your characters look like. So how? what do you see in your head when, you're, when it's visually playing out?
1: I know. It's so strange. I think uh, to be honest with you, and this is going to sound super egotistical, I think all of my characters look like me in my head. Um, I, I think, like, honestly, I think it's true. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, but because I think for me to really get an honest sense of self into my characters, even though I would say my characters are all very different from my books, my main characters, there has to be an element of me in each one of them to ground them and make them feel really real. And I think like anybody, I'm a very, like everybody sees like the fun, clowny, happy Nat, but Mm. like everybody, I'm a multifaceted person. You know, I have, Mm. um, I I get sad. I've had hard things in my life that I've gone through. I get scared. I get confused by things. And so I just cherry pick Mm. parts of my personality four characters and I say okay you're going to have this piece but then of course I'm going to build an entire thing around that character that's not me and they do a whole bunch of things that I wouldn't do you know they're usually much cleverer than me it's like oh this is the person I wish I could be um but that's what Mm. that's what grounds me to it so Mm. in my head I think they do kind of look a little bit like me a lot (laughs) um <laughs> yeah, I'm the star of every story. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah.
0: So, when you were saying um, everyone sees the fun, happy, you know, very, really vibrant Nat. Uh, in case there are listeners who haven't yet seen Nat in action, go look at her YouTube videos, and uh, you'll really see Nat the fun, happy, very vibrant, very energetic Nat. Now, Nat is like that naturally, but she also, you know, for any teachers and librarians who are booking <laughs> authors for schools, oh, my goodness, your, your students are in for a ride. So, go check her out on her YouTube videos or whatever um, to see the energy she brings to a school appearance or a talk or whatever. So, on that point, you, out of a lot of people I know, are so busy, with, your, with appearances, with author appearances, which obviously kids authors do more author appearances or have the opportunity to do more author appearances than adult authors. Before you started on your author journey and you just knew, oh, I want to be a middle grade author, did you think, did you already Did you find it appealing that you were going to be able to also do school visits and author appearances or is that something that kind of came later with the job and what do you like about it? Because you clearly do.
1: Yeah, so a bit of both. Um, So I have a, like I used to be an entertainment manager at hotel resorts, so a lot of mcing, a lot to do with kids, a lot of interactions with kids. Um, So it was appealing, but at the same time I didn't know what it was. So I liked the idea of being up in front of kids and, you know, being wacky and zany and having fun and, you know, sort of performing and then that being like a little bit educational and all that kind of stuff. But I'd never seen an author appearance. So I didn't really I actually snuck into the primary school days of the Sydney Writers Festival the year before Millionaire came out or the year Millionaire came out, sorry, for the sole purpose of being like what does an author actually do when they go, you know, like I got the idea that you got up in front of kids and like talked about your books, but like, what does that look like? Um, And that was really good because that year there was a real vast kind of array. I mean, Oliver Pomoban was there and he's kind of, you know, that kind of wacky, crazy comedy style. And then there was, um, oh, Deborah Bella was performing, and then there was some people who were really like literary and soft-spoken and calm, and went really deep into the themes of their books. And I'm like, okay, that's like another style. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot. Like I've learned heaps over the last few years. So I was excited about it, but I also was a bit didn't really know what it was, but learned very quickly. And do I like it? Yeah, I love. I mean, I obviously I love it. Um, mm. And and I think one of the things I love most is just being able to connect with the kids and connect with the readers but also I mean everybody has their own approach when it comes to presenting to kids Mm. and mine is get the kids to love me and be excited about me and in turn they will be excited about books whether it be mine or someone else's because obviously when I speak to the younger kids I don't really talk about my books like I just you know if I do cater to and stuff I'm talking about other people's books but if I can get kids excited about just reading in general then I'm stoked.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, there are some people uh, or aspiring authors who love to write children's books and would love to, you know, make a career out of it, but kind of a so stressed at the thought of having to go to school visits or, or being in or, or performing in a sense in front of children. Do you think that they can carve out a successful career as a children's author without doing those things?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, yes, I've got, I mean, the answer is always Mm. yes, right? I'm I'm sure, I I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's some of the best known kids authors probably don't do a lot of that because they don't have to. But Mm. on the other hand, I would say that it certainly adds to your artillery. Like, and I think Mm. the thing to remember is that you don't have to be the, ver- the version that I am, you don't have to get out with your clown nose and do cartwheels and not that I can mm-hmm. do a cartwheel, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, every like kids, like every kind of book, they like every kind of presenter as well. And, yeah. you know, when I did a festival with um, Curly Saunders and she's Ooh. got kids like doing meditation and yoga and she's so calm and she talks about wow. connection to country and her voice is beautiful and she reads poetry and the kids are hanging off her every word. And, mm. um, so it's about being genuine and being connected to your material and kids will respond to that. They don't need me all the time or Oliver Pomerant <laughs> all the time. They need variety just like they need variety in their books. So yeah. I would say that, um, you know, yes, it's po- of course it's possible to have a career without doing it, but, mm. like, if you're starting from scratch, What are you doing to connect to your readers? What are you doing to connect to teachers and librarians? What are you doing to um, get your books out there? Because the most logical and practical way is school visits and talks and stuff like Mm. that. So even if you're nervous about it, there's things that you can do, for, for example, uh, I did a course with you guys at the AWC which is all about presenting to kids and it's about finding your strength and your- as in
0: that is the presenter of that course yes. she, <laughs> she actually created the course you know because she's so successful at presenting to kids she's created a course about how authors can present to kids
1: right yeah and I created it with Kathy Tasker, who's essentially like the opposite to me you know she's kind <laughs> yes. of like And it was a really good combination because it helped me to go like, okay, this is what I would do in this situation, but hey, Kathy, what would you do? Because you're obviously, you know, the person that's a bit more shy, a bit more timid, has to put a lot more kind of effort into getting up in front of people and that's more stressful. And it was a really good um, balance for us Mm. to say, hey, this course is for everybody and we're going to help you no matter where you fall on that. Um, excited but nervous, absolutely terrified, or can't wait to get on stage spectrum. Mm. We've got something that can help you discover what you're going to look like in front of kids.
0: Mm-mm. And of course, the great thing for children's authors is that they have it's an additional income stream, like a you know a potentially a very regular and lucrative income stream. That that opportunity isn't available quite in the same way to adult authors. Because, yeah. you know, there are so many schools around you. And the, the kids
1: keep growing up and they keep coming. Yeah. So, like, you can go back to the same school every year and do grade four every year and it's mm. a new audience. And I think, yeah, not only is it another income stream, so you've got, you know, the income from the sales, of your books and the income from actually turning up to things, But turning up to things influences the income that comes through your books. Mm. So if you're going to schools, you're selling more books, you're getting more ELR and PLR, so educational lending rights, public lending rights, kids are borrowing your books more, that'll grow. Like you see, I see the impact. When I go to a school, Mm. it reflects in the money I make from my books. So it's Mm. not... Some people think of it as just two separate income streams, but they really affect each other so much. And also the more books you sell, the more you get invited to school. So it's all this like, yeah, giant circle of making it a viable career.
0: Mm. Now, several books ago, your first book, Secrets of the Schoolyard Millionaire, um, you that came out and then you have just uh, continued to have such a regular schedule with releasing your books. Can you just paint us a picture of what, just very roughly and briefly, kind of like what your year looks like. Like at this point I write my book, at this point I focus on school visits, at this point I'm thinking of the next book, you know, that kind of thing, just so that we can see how you structure really your career timeline. Well, your, yeah, the, how you roll out your career.
1: So you know how we talked about not so great with structure and schedule? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, It's been really hard too because obviously Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire came out in 2019. I did a massive publicity tour. I was doing all the stuff and then COVID hit. So my Mm. last two books have come out during the pandemic in some form. So obviously um, national tours were off the cards. I had a Dimmicks window cancelled because um, shops were. Who was
0: going going to go to Dimmicks? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like it just was uh, so. To be, whatever I say won't really be the norm. Mm,
0: true. And okay. then
1: this year has been, everybody's taken the, the last two years that have been cancelled and tried to squeeze it in six months. <laughs> so this year I am like, I can't, there's nothing left. Like there's I, I've, mm. I have, I've got to write another book and I don't know when that's going to happen. And so as much as I'd like to say I have structure, as much as I'd like to have structure and in a normal world, Maybe I would have. It's just been like all thrown up in the air over Mm. the last couple of years. So during the pandemic, lots of events have been cancelled. So I've had more writing time, I guess. But this year, I haven't even like looked at my laptop unless it's to present online, you know, Mm -hmm. so I probably won't be able to get to writing. So I would say this year it's sort of been little. I had a little holiday at the start, then just events until, Pretty much beginning of September, and then trying to carve out September to write because October potentially going to the UK for the launch of my second book over there, Um, and then December January to write again. Okay, that's just this year, you know.
0: (laughs) That's an interesting point. Event you said you've got events basically until September. Paint us a picture of what that looks like. Are you doing How many events are you doing a week and what sort of events are they?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, since it all kind of kicked off, so I've done an in-residence in Cairns, in a school in Cairns, so that was like a full week. Um, I am about to go into, so the book comes out on the 3rd of May. So I've got that kind of week is book tours and bookstores. Then I have the Sydney book launch. Then I fly to Melbourne and then I do it all again in Melbourne. Then I have the Melbourne book launch. Then I come back. Then I've got Sydney Writers Festival that sort of stretches between like prep and the actual thing, stretches kind of almost over two weeks. Mm. Then at the end of that I go, I think I've got, there's like words on the waves. Then then I come back and then I do um, a school promotional tour because I couldn't do that before. So I do the one I do is at bookstores in May, and then I do a yep. June school promotional. Tour. And what does that
0: look like? How many schools would you go to? That sort of thing. I, th- I
1: think we're doing three a day. Three yeah, schools probably. a day. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so they what um they do is they try to kind of clump them together. So it'll be three mm-hmm. schools that are quite close to each other, then another three that are in another place but close to each other. Mm-hmm. Um and then then there's just a few festivals um that kind of get me oh, i'm doing the canberra cbca conference mm-hmm. then there's festivals i'm doing a whit sunday voices festivals in july so july's got a little bit of space but there's a few schools squeezed in there around mm. the festivals and then august of course book week kicks off and yeah. i'm doing a week in sydney a week in melbourne and a week in brisbane for book week so it ends up being book month mm. um, and then that kind of ends early september this then, is exhausting just listening. <laughs> yeah, my calendar is very intimidating. I look at it and I go, oh, and I close it down so that I don't have to, um, yeah, look at it. So, yeah, hopefully a bit of a space in September to write and then the UK potentially in October. No
0: wonder you find it hard to find time for writing. But are you the sort of person who has to, when they're writing,
1: you know, sit in their usual spot?
0: Or can you write while in on planes, trains and automobiles?
1: Yeah. Uh, I can't, I'm not like one of those people could, can pull out my laptop and write for like 45 minutes while I'm waiting for something. I need, I need time, but I don't need location. So I need <laughs> to have a few hours to really sit yeah. down and do it. But yes, I can ride on a plane. Um, not so much on a bus train. Yes, absolutely on a train. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, it's more, it's more about having a chunk of time yeah. than having a location for me.
0: Now, Nat, I could honestly talk to you for hours because there are so many different things that you do, but let's wrap up with um, your top three tips to aspiring writers who want to be where you are one day, but, you know, want to be a published and successful middle-grade author.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Number one, I would say the thing that I've learned is is learn all the rules, know the industry, know the age groups, know the things that publishers want and don't want, but then also be brave enough to do something new. So it's like know all the things, learn all the stuff, Mm. but then take the brave steps to try stepping outside of that as well. Um, Mm. Sometimes it won't work. Sometimes they'll say nobody's doing that, we're not going to, you know, there's obviously... There's obviously a reason the rules are there, but also don't be limited by them, I guess, is is what I would say. Learn Mm. them all and then maybe break them. (laughs) Um, Number two, if you know know why you're doing it. If you're doing it as a hobby, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that Mm. if you're doing it on the side, if you're working full-time and you just, you know, would love to have like a book that you can say, that's mine. All of them, all those reasons are valid but know them because if you want to make a career out of it, there's a whole lot of investment involved, time, effort, um, commitment, all those kind of things. Mm. And no no reason for writing is right or wrong. Like yeah. if you want to do it, you want to do it. But if you're uh, looking at, say, like even looking at me and like what I've done over the last four years and thinking oh, I can just do that on my Sunday afternoons while the kids are at sport or whatever. Um, Not to say that you can't, but they're going to be some seriously busy Sunday afternoons. Um, I I dived very deeply straight away. I knew I wanted to do this like full-time for a career and I didn't want to miss that kind of opening opportunity.
0: Mm. So I dived
1: deep and I dived hard with a lot of commitment, time, effort, and all those other things. So I think, like, know where you sit and then don't have expectations of one thing if you're delivering the like time and effort
0: on another thing Mm. and let's Um, just before you go on to your third one you when you were saying that you dive deep quite hard because many many years ago you did courses at the Australian Writers Centre was that when you decided this is going to be my full-time thing this I'm going to learn no
1: that was me the first (laughs) one I ever did was me going I think I really want to do this and dipping my toe in the water yes. with a lot of trepidation and being like, oh, please don't laugh at me. Um, that was the first course. Cause I think I've done three or four with you guys. Yeah. So the first course was very much just, I know nothing about the industry. I know nothing about books. I don't know anything like let's do this thing and mm. see how it feels. Um, and of course, after one course with you, I think my first course was with um, Judith Ridge writing for right. kids. I think it was a more generic one before it kind of got broken up. And I just was like, oh, this is the best. I want more of this. (laughs) And so then I think I did that. So I kept signing up and signing up and signing up. Um, Mm. And it's through that course that I met Kathy Tasker, who became like just a mentor and friend and everything. Mm. So I think um, what what those courses did for me was like, this is what this world looks like when I had Mm. no idea. Um, And then got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Um, I guess when I say like dive deep, I mean probably when I signed the contract for Millionaire, I pretty much gave up my job. Right. Very soon after. Um, like that's my job at the time because I wanted to just like all in, like, all in. I want to be available to do all the things. <laughs> um, yeah. And I wanted, to, and also because it was a two book contract. I wanted to be able to write another book and faster because Millionaire, I wrote it, like, on my weekends and all that, like yeah. most people do. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's what I meant by diving deep. I would yeah. say that um, Australian Writers' <laughs> Centre gave me the foundations and the, the confidence and the bravery and the information that I needed mm. to to even like go, well, how do you even get to a publisher? How do you even write a kid's book? Like that was all there to really kind of build the foundations of what was to come for me.
0: Fantastic. And look at where you are now. But on to your third tip.
1: My third tip. Uh, Never lose the joy. Mm. It's like the kids they they can feel it they can feel it in your presence and they can feel it in your writing if you're not really into it and you're not joyous about it and that doesn't mean that your books have to be hilarious and about snots. And that's not what joy is there's as much joy in in books that are about you know um, representation and even depression like it's this joy just means that you really feel and believe in what you're doing and um and it's that balance of being very business-minded about what you're doing and balancing that out with the love and the passion and finding out how those two meet in the middle so that you're still giving the joy while being smart about the business side.
0: Wonderful. And on that note, congratulations on your latest book. Can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy, Val. This
0: podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our self-paced course, Fiction Essentials, Characters, takes one of the key components of any story and helps you develop not only the main players, but your entire cast of characters. You'll discover how to seamlessly merge plot and structure, create narrative tension, shape scenes, and create believable dialogue, all with strong characters that your readers can connect with, You can even start with just a character idea and nothing else and this course will provide you with the steps and exercises to create your entire story idea. Equally, if you have a story that's in need of some original characters, you'll be able to build them here too. Plus, because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writercentercomau slash characters that's writercentercomau slash characters all right let's move on to our giveaway this week now a couple of weeks ago we interviewed e lockhart and her book family of liars so we have three copies of that to give away to jog your memory, you may remember that E Lockhart became a book talk sensation when her previous book, *We Were Liars*, and number one became a number one New York Times bestseller thanks to all of the people who were posting about it on TikTok. As a result, she has written this prequel family of liars so it takes readers back to the story of another summer another generation and the secrets that will haunt them for decades to come a windswept private island off the coast of massachusetts a hungry ocean churning with secrets and sorrow a fiery addicted heiress an irresistible unpredictable boy a summer of unforgivable betrayal and terrible mistakes welcome back to the sinclair family they were always liars Three copies that you have a chance to win. Well, one of three copies. Go to writercentercomau slash win. All right, we've now come to the end of this week's podcast. And as I mentioned, I'm going to go off and have a well-deserved Lie down. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Do connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm over at valeriekoo.com. Of course, you find all of the show notes at soyouwantbeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.